Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning in to The Originals. A recap on what we've covered so far. In Launchip, we unpack the politics behind Richmond's AFL Women's League application with some super frank reflections from Tigers President, Peggy O'Neill, and CEO, Brendan Gale. In Ep 2, we unpicked how Richmond started with a blank canvas to build an entire AFLW team, knocking down a few urinals in the process. Episode 3 captured an unforgettable event. Opening night for Richmond in the AFLW under lights. In the crowd, we caught up with all sorts. The Governor of Victoria, CEO of the AFL, Gillan McLaughlin, and Tiger icon Kevin Bartlett, just to name a few. Then, after the match, still catching her breath on field, Sabrina Frederick relived the honour of kicking Richmond's first AFLW goal. But here and now, we're at episode four, and we're making a gear change. From here, we meet Richmond's AFLW team, good and proper, starting with senior coach, Tom Hunter. Tom was picked to direct Richmond's first Victorian Football League women's team at the end of 2017. This was the Tigers' AFLW breeding ground, and from a coaching perspective, Tom led it for two years. Quite aside from this, he has an intriguing backstory. If you've noticed the drums playing in the background, we'll tell you why they're relevant soon. For now, let's get to know a man who seems an older soul than his fresh face would suggest. In conversation, this is Tom Hunter, the original senior coach of Richmond's original AFLW team. Drum roll please, here we go. I'm really mindful that often when you talk to people in sport, they see their whole life in the prism of sport yep. and they struggle to talk about just life without it. Yep. So let's start without sport, okay? So tell us about, you know, even where you were born, where you grew up, what family looked like, what school looked like. Yep. So I grew up in East Keelor, um, Melbourne's northwest. Mum, dad, uh, younger sister, Emma, um, just at the same place I still live today um, in East Keelor. Oh, I guess a normal childhood. I think everyone says normal childhood. But um, went to the school 100 metres down the road, uh, high school at St Bernard's College in Essendon. Who would you say were the biggest influences on your young life? Uh, certainly certainly both my parents. Um, I was Mum's one of nine, so I've got a lot of cousins. Um, so... I, like they always say your cousins are your first friends and, and for me we had a really close despite being so many of us we had a really close connection with our cousins and um, yeah so probably probably not only mum and dad but I guess yeah, the wider my wider family what sort of kid were you? Um, I was a, a good kid I know like a good kid I was always by the rules um, if you know, if I was playing with other kids down the street and it was I had to be home by six o'clock and it was a couple of seconds too, like I'd sprint home. Like I was I have a real thing about rules and um, so I gotta make sure I abide by the rules and um, yeah, so always like on time, very rarely in trouble. What did you study? Like so you would have I mean, you would have done uni to to um, Yeah, did a yeah. did a bachelor of education. Um, took me six years to do a four year course through footy in the middle. So it took me a while to complete it. Um, but yeah, Bachelor of Education, um, no further study since then and yeah, finished high school in 2008. 
Now tell us about your your sporting story. So were you one of those kids that slept with a footy that was cricket in summer, footy, Aussie rules in winter? Yeah. Yeah, I was... I played a lot of, obviously played junior football, um, junior cricket, and that was on and off. Um, But I wasn't footy mad. Like when I was a little kid, I wasn't really footy obsessed. Um, Used to skateboard um, from when I was probably 13 to to 16. Um, And then still every now and again, we'll go for a bit of a ride. But um, probably when I got to about 16 is when I became really footy obsessed. Um, Saw it as an opportunity you know, based on the, the talent pathways I went through that um, thought I had an opportunity to to give that a go um, and to become, I guess, play AFL. So that's when I, you know, switched my focus from stop skating because of risk of injury. So, um, yeah, put my time and energy into, yeah, becoming a footballer. Who were your footy heroes? James Hurd uh, as, a young, as a young boy uh, and then Max Rook from Geelong. I used to love Max Rook. Yeah, me too. Yeah. What did you love about him? Just how tough he was. Mm. Um, just loved the way he played. Just the way he threw himself at the contest. Um, you know, had that. He still had a bit of finesse about him. Like had a bit of class in the way he played, but really just the tough and strong ruggedness of him. Really, yeah. really loved that. Try to emulate my game on that. Tell us about your playing career and your playing path. I know it involved the Calder Cannons. Yep. So I played at the, the Calder Cannons for um, all, all through their junior pathways. Um, 2008, 2009, I was on their under-18 TAC Cup list. Um, lucky enough to play in a, in a premiership there, which is a fond footy memory. Um, and then towards throughout that 20, uh, sorry, 2009 season, got a bit of interest from from AFL clubs. Um, I probably didn't think I'd get drafted. I probably knew I was more of a rookie chance, just the, based on the way I played and my limitations. So I was pretty pretty aware of my football ability but I knew that I was a really hard worker. I knew the clubs interviewing me knew that as well. Um, so I sort of had an inkling that I'd end up rookied. Um, and then I think it was pick 18 in the 2010 rookie draft, which is at the end of 2009, was rookied by the Collingwood Football Club. What does that do to a young person's perspective on the world and of themselves? It changes pretty quickly. Um, it's like we tell, we, we tell our, our, our players you're um, one day before the draft, you're not an elite footballer, and then the day after, you are. Um, and I thought I was pretty, pretty mature 18 year old at the time, but but then when you're thrust into, I guess, I guess full time work, and your full time work is physical and physically demanding, and um, there's a greater expectation on you as, a, as an 18 year old, it sort of does throw you around a little bit. Um, but I think I handled it really well. Um, but yeah, it was, certainly was a yeah a, a bit of a shock. It, it, was, it was incredible. Like the, Collingwood were at that time, and and even still now, were a, a massive club. Um, and I think 2009 they were really close, either the prelim or the semi final. So I knew they were. I was going into a club where the expectation on all of us would be heightened. Um, and you know, I remember you, all of a sudden your, your teammates with with Scott Pendlebury and and Dane Swan, and you're sharing space with them and. Um, whilst I was a little 18-year-old up the back just trying to um, learn as much as I can and try as hard as I could, um, there's still that expectation that you are a Collingwood footballer. Um, so, yeah, it's it's walking through the doors of the, the Holden Centre or Westpac Centre was at the time. It was, um, yeah, incredible, incredible experience. Were you scared? Uh, yes, yeah. 
tell us your your footy story ultimately at Collingwood, the path, the milestones. Yep. So um, I played my first year in 2010. I played I played all the games in the VFL, um, bar maybe the last four or five. Um, I had a a bit of a hit to the head playing in the VFL up in Bendigo and um, unfortunately oh, I lost all feeling in my arms when I hit the ground. It was a bit of a, it was a head collision. Um, so I, when I came to, I was a little bit concussed when I came to it, felt like I'd landed on glass. Um, like all the nerves in my arms um, started tingling. Uh, well, tingling is the, the term that I used, but it was really like I'd landed on glass and it's pretty scary and um, I wasn't allowed to move. They wouldn't let me move for fear that I'd, I'd broken my neck. Um, was flown to hospital, had a series of checks, and they found out that my my spinal canal was too small for my spinal cord. So every time I got a hit to the head, I'd lose all feeling in my arms and um, would compress all those nerves. Um, so it was pretty scary at the time, and I wasn't sure then if I'd play football again. Like there was talk of that you might might not, you shouldn't. Um, but we saw this a neurosurgeon. He reassured me that. You know, you could play football again and you could be okay. Um, and, you know, it was, gave me examples of elite athletes that have the same condition that I have. Um, so I took that risk and, and continued to play. Um, and then 2011, after I came back from the Christmas break, was back into full training because I my elbows had, had healed, essentially. I didn't have that feeling and played in a, a NAB league game or a NAB cup game against Richmond and Carlton. Um and then flew over to Perth in the semi-final, and I lasted seven minutes on the ground, um, and then unfortunately had another collision. I ran into someone's hip, um, and then again lost all feeling in my arms. Couldn't put any weight through them. Um, taken off the ground, into the rooms, went to the hospital. Um, again, a series of checks, and then this time they sort of said, "Well, if you do it again, you run a greater risk of potentially end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life." Um, which essentially meant that I wasn't allowed to play footy anymore. Did that make it an easy decision? Um, I sort of, I, for me, I had to feel like it was my decision. Um, like I had all these specialists, like we saw maybe four or five specialists um, with, with discussions with the club and the whole time it was them telling me what I couldn't do. And it was not like, it's not a thing, a thing of authority or anything like that, but it was, I felt like I physically could. Like I, I, even today, I, f- I still feel like I could play, um, but the risk that I run is is far too great. Um, so I had to make the decision mine. Like I had to say that I don't want to play footy anymore. So I felt comfortable with with the decision. Mm, gosh, do you remember that moment? Yeah, yeah. I remember it was a, it was a, we're in the boardroom at Collingwood, um, and it was myself, my parents, uh, my manager at the time, and a few of the you know the football people at the club. Jeff Walsh, Derek Hine, the club doctor, um, and David Butterfant. And um, they just said, like, we've got your best interest at heart, Tom, and if we put you in a position where you could be injured again, then we couldn't live with ourselves. Um, and I understood that. Um, but at the same time, I sort of said, look, I understand. And um, so I won't put myself in that position either. And, yeah, and as a... As a 20-year-old, when all you've wanted to do since you were 16 and all you invested into was to play football, um, it was pretty pretty tough and pretty challenging. Mm. Is there a period of what people would call grief? Yeah. I think my grief period went for about... Well, it went for about three years, but what I 
tried to do was initially I tried just to um, deny it. Like um, I tried just to not think about it and accept it and move on from it. Um, I just sort of, as quick as I could, just try to think about the next thing. Um, and so I probably didn't allow myself time to grieve. Um, I didn't allow myself time to go away, reflect, um, and then come to terms with it. But probably what I needed to do was take time away from the club and, um, and focus on something else. If you can go back to like whatever it was in you that says, I'm going to risk that, yeah. I'm going to risk that again. <laughs> yeah. I'll- How do you... Why? Yeah, probably should just clarify. So the, when I first saw the neurosurgeon, the feedback I got was um, that you could risk it, but you more often than not, you'll be okay. So I didn't feel like I was taking the risk then and there um, because the professional feedback that I sought was saying, you, you know, you should go back and play. Like this might not happen again. But probably on reflection, um, had I had the information the first time that I had the second time, then I wouldn't have risked it. Um knowing how severe my the condition is in my neck and um you know probably the way i played as well probably put me in that position more often than not mm. um so whilst it's a you know really disappointing thing that happened to me i, I still find myself incredibly lucky that i'm able to walk i'm able to still be involved in football um and then i can have a, a normal life just without playing football Tell us the story of what happens from that boardroom meeting with your parents where ultimately you do own the decision, um, even if you don't grieve it really thoroughly for another three years. What happens in terms of your relationship, your contract, et cetera, with Collingwood? Yeah, Collingwood, they were really good. They said, said, whilst we can't put you in a position to to try or play, play, you can still do your rehab here. Um, So I... And that was at my choosing. So they said, when you want to come in, come in, um, do your rehab and then leave. Um, use the facility as much as you want, be around the players as much as you want, um, which was really good, um, which was, was helpful for, for a period of time. Um, the other thing that they offered me the opportunity to do was to be the runner on game day. Um, so in 2011, I was the game day runner um, for Collingwood. Um, they played off in the grand final that year and um, that was a, a really... It's a real experience, not playing football, um, but still being out on the ground. So that was a great experience for me. Um, they gave me opportunities to recruit, so I did some scouting for their recruiters. Um, probably ties back into the connections I had and the relationships I had with the recruiters. Recruiters was they offered me opportunities to stay involved in football as well. Um, so they were really supportive and, um, pro- yeah, supportive of what I needed at that time. Mm, what happened then? Uh, so I went back to uni in, in 2011, um, so midway through, whilst balancing my recovery and game day running, um, and then started my next chapter of my life was to become a teacher, mm-hmm. um, and something that I always sort of thought I'd be a, a footballer or a teacher, um, and I've got to do both of them. You know, having been at the top of the town, Collingwood footballer, to then getting some bloody injury that you didn't want that you're angry about that you're sad about put yourself back in those shoes and that mindset yeah what was it like so i went to um i went to vu in footscray um and i I hated university and just hated every day going in not because of where i was because it was really convenient for me um it was a great uni i got my education course out of it but you're going from being for me you're going from a 20 year old AFL, afl footballer into a uni student that's having to do his plan B. 
um, and it was like I just hated it and like spent I remember days crying to mum saying I'm not going to uni like I hated it um, but I got through it because I knew at the end of it would be my my next part would be having my own classroom and that's what got me through university was having my own classroom wow yeah okay so <laughs> what was it about a classroom that appealed to you I think it comes back to that being able to help others being able to have a I guess a meaningful impact um Probably through a lot of 2011, I felt pretty helpless, pretty hopeless, um, but I couldn't do something that I loved. So wanted then to, um, yeah, have an impact and have a meaningful impact on whether it be myself or, or other people. And then graduated, ended 2014. Okay. And you graduate with a vision of, I'm really happy, I want to be a teacher. Yep. 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 And Lucky enough, in my last year of placement, ended up at a school in Keeler Downs, Keeler Views, which is really close to home and um, a really great school. And did my last year of placement there and got offered a job um, straight away. Like, got offered a job, um, yeah, after my placement. So, at Keeler Downs, what's yep. your classroom? What age level? And how did you actually find it? I had grade fours my first two years. Um, absolutely loved it. Just... Um, had so much fun and te- so much fun teaching. Um, great kids, great school, was really well supported. Um, Charles Brentford had the principal there. It was a ripper, just really supported my football endeavours, knew that I wanted to be get back into football. Um, so, he, he, you know, if there was a day I had to leave early to go to a, a, you know, a training game or whatever it might be, he really supported that. Um, the kids were fantastic, probably not like a, not like a footy centric school like really really diverse range of students um so not a lot of football um but still wanted to learn uh wanted to have fun um and certainly had a lot of fun over those yeah first two years in grade four and then yeah my third year in grade three what do you reckon now are the things the best things that that experience taught you how how to get your learning across so how to present something in a way that has a really clear focus um things that i do in my in my team meetings now um you know how, how you want to get the learning across how can you layer it how do you layer a drill um how to best show the reviews from different angles so you're hitting different learning styles um yeah real clear learning outcomes throughout my teaching i still coached um so I coached at the Call to Cannons through my first couple of years um, in the classroom. And then 2016 and 2017, I was back at Richmond. Or sorry, I started at Richmond. So um, I still wanted to become a development coach because I've always sort of seen that mixture of football and teaching is the two things I thought I would be and an opportunity to put those two things together. Um, so I still wanted to get back into football. Tell me about when you first meet Craig McRae? I think I would have been injured um, and I would have been in uh, rehab at the time at at Collingwood. Um, But I just remember he was just like just fresh and these these ideas that he had um, were real, like they were just, they resonated with me. Like the way he he spoke to me, the way he engaged with me, that's what resonated with me. Like really cared about what you you wanted and and what you wanted to get out of it, but then helped you achieve it as well. So tell us the story then with year timeline markers. I'm feeling we are at 2014, like you've joined Keelor Downs in... 2015, yeah, Keelor Views, yep. yep. Um, 
tell us the story and timelines of how you go from there to Richmond. So um, 2015, so the back end of 2015, um, I just finished my year coaching at the Calder Cannons um, and I wanted to change. Like I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I was enjoying coaching, but uh, I probably didn't see at that time to continue in the full-time coaching pathway. Um, I just wanted to go back and coach locally and, and, and enjoy it. Um, so I... I left the call to Cannons and I'd agreed at a, at a local football club just to be an, a senior assistant there um, at an A-grade club in, in the EDFL. And um, then I think the, the day after I accepted it is when Craig rang me and offered me the opportunity to, to interview at the Richmond Football Club for an assistant position in the VFL. And um, probably that, that option maybe sparked my um, enjoyment again and, and, and that... that I guess that competitor in me and of mm. trying to get the most out of myself. So um, came in and presented to, to Craig and, and Tim Livingston and a few others and, um, yeah, got the opportunity to be a, you know, an assistant assistant in, in 2016. Um, so I'm not even assistant coach, an assistant <laughs> yeah. assistant coach. Uh, and my job was just to watch the stoppages for, for Andrew McWalter on game day. Um, and then after that, um, did that year of 2016 and, uh, the forward, coach, forward line coach left and, and then Craig offered me the opportunity to, to coach my foot, the forward line in my own ride and, and by myself. So I'm glad I did it because that's where I met Kate Sheen in, in 2017 and um, through the VFL and um, the opportunity came up to be involved in the women's football from there. So at that point, what exposure have you had to women playing footy? Not, not a lot. Not, I, knew, I knew they played football. Um, I knew there was competitions in and around my area. There, like there was a few young girls at East Kill that used to play football and um, had to stop and go elsewhere to continue. Um, so I knew that there was women, girls, and women's playing football. I didn't know, I didn't know any teams. Um, I, I didn't see it as a pathway for me, so I, I wasn't truly invested in it. Um, so yeah, I, I was a real, real rookie in it, to be mm. honest. Yeah. So initially. When it's put to you, does it sort of seem so foreign that it doesn't interest you? Yeah, it it it's, it, it probably didn't interest me at the start because um, I just I didn't envision myself doing it. And and one of the things I wanted to make sure is I, I didn't want to do it just to get a pathway into into coaching. Like I didn't want to do it to get a leg up and then be in Richmond and then go coach the men's program. I decided to do it because I, I saw the impact that I could potentially have and. And how I can make so many players better through my experiences through football and um, my background as an educator, and, and using that to help them be the best possible footballers and athletes as they could. Um, but it's not something I envisaged myself doing in mm. 2011 when I'm, you know, retiring from football. Um, yeah. I didn't see myself, you know, as a head coach of a women's football team. And did you look at examples? I mean, I described to you the experience that Craig Stasevich kind of talks about where he didn't even know women played footy. Anyone, any women that did, he thinks he's weird. He just has that really of that era mentality. Um, then he comes to have these like epiphanies of, oh my gosh, I can make a difference. I can work with, you know, these people that just want to be better. Yeah. And I can, you know, Craig saying, I can be happier as a man, actually, in an environment that in some respects for him had become toxic in a men's setting where he felt that 
you know, people had to hide their feelings, hide their personalities, exist in like alpha male kind of way that didn't actually really align with who he was. Does any of that sort of resonate with you when you're kind of stepping into this new frontier? Yeah, probably more um, certainly the impact that you can have and just how how grateful that the players are for for just like anything that they get, whether it's a bit of information, whether it's um, the fact that you've watched the game and you've got some codes for them. Um, even you know doing a you know a quick day out on Punt Road with a few girls uh, very early on, um, and just showing them one thing that they've never seen before. Um, and you you probably take it for granted through football as a male because you've had that experience, you've had someone coaching you all the way through. Um, and you've had people trying to make you better. I've been lucky. I've been involved in the pathways to where I've had some really great coaches and, and great experiences. Um, so I'm able to take those experiences and now help the next pathway of, of players or fo- footballers that want to be better. And, and it just so happens that the footballers I'm coaching are women. What's different about coaching women? They're very literal. Uh, I remember the first training session we did, um, I was explaining threes kicking. So just kicking the ball around in threes. And I got two girls out the front with myself and I got them five metres apart each. And I was just saying, okay, we're going to go out in threes. We're going to kick the ball around. And I'm just going to mix up the type of kicks that you do. So off you go. Go out there um, and we'll change it from there. And then I look out and all the girls that I see are all in triangles, all five metres apart. So they're all kicking like as I explained it, as opposed to kicking 15, 20 metres like they should be in a game. They'll see something and that's they think that's what they have to do. So that was my first experience knowing how literal they are. That's so funny because as you described the instruction, that's my brain did exactly the literal thing. Yep. I was like, right, I'm picturing this five metres apart. Yeah, and it's just – so it's the wording that you have to do and um, you know, obviously we encourage our girls to just to play at times um, but we've got to give them the foundations of what that looks like mm. um, and then encourage of what it could look like along the way. Mm. And do you have those moments where you're like, I just love this, like driving home, I don't know, at work, <laughs> where you're like, this is really good. Yeah, it certainly is. Like we've, the people that we've been able to, Kate's brought together to work with, um, we've got a really, the full-time crew that we work together, um, you know, Matt Parker, Lauren Tessarero, Sarah Wiley and Kate and myself. Um, we're really close and connected um, we had to share, you know, an office, you know, two by three for <laughs> for twelve months. So we're really close. Um, and we're really close physically in terms of the space. Um, but we just our the ideas that we share and um, working with really close people in in that respect then filters down to working with our my assistant coaches and the trainers and staff. We just want this place to be where where not only players but staff want to be as well. What makes you you? Um, Probably one of the things I do that certainly makes me me, um, I, I love music. So I love listening to music. Um, I love playing music. I play the drums. It's just a way that I, something that I've, no matter what I do along the way, whether it's working or footy, um, something that I can always come back to. And it's like, it's in my own space. So I've got like a little bit of a, not a recording studio, but I've got a little bit of space out the back that's a little bit soundproof. So I can, I know I can go in there and the day I've had or whether it's been a great day or, or a negative day and just get in there and, and play drums, that's something I'm always going to be really good at and something I'm, no matter what my endeavours are, I'm going to continue to do. I love playing golf. I love getting out on the golf course and challenging myself in that regard and obviously spending time with my partner and um, our dogs and just having that, yeah, having that close, you know, almost, it is our family, having our close family. 
How often do you play the drums? Uh, probably once a week. For how long? Probably 25, 30 minutes. I go on YouTube and I'll play songs that are drumless, so without backing tracks with no drums, and then I'll play the drums to it. Awesome. Um, so that karaoke for drums. Karaoke for drums, yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> okay, I've asked you to bring in something special that means something special to you from footy. Yep. I can see a, a brown frame, a picture, some pretty wild-coloured um, footy jumpers. But tell us what this picture is and why you've picked it. Um, so this is my 2012 Under-18 Premiership team photo. It's not about the Premiership. That's not what why it's significant. It was my first year coaching my own side. East Kill is my, my local club where I played all my junior football. And it's they are f- a funky colours because it's the um, the old West Coast clash strip, I think, is what they modelled off at the time. And it's just, yeah, it was for me, it was sort of solidified my, you know, my want to be a coach and... Obviously, after 2011, which was a, not a great year for me personally in football, to ha- have enjoyment, to be helping these young men with their football, helping them off-field, you know, taking them to and from places where they needed to get to on a Saturday night or a, a Friday night, whatever it might be, um, yeah, really helped solidify me as a, as a, as a football person, but also um, as a coach as well. Well, that winds up episode four, and what a story. From player to that injury to study teaching, and now coaching at Richmond, not forgetting Tom Hunter's drummer alter ego. Next week, we meet the woman who was top of Tom Hunter's recruiting wish list, Sabrina Frederick. I'm Sam Lane, and this is The Originals. Sign off, Brendan Gale. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, family, footy fans, even someone who thinks they don't like footy. And final word, well, maybe two, Peggy O'Neill. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.